Our scripture reading this morning is from the New Testament according, the gospel according to John, and we're going to start in the 10th chapter with the first verse, and it goes like this. I assure you that whoever doesn't enter into the sheep pen through the gate, but climbs over the wall is a thief and an outlaw. The one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The guard at the gate opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Whenever he has gathered all of his sheep, he goes before them and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger, but will run away because they don't know the stranger's voice. Those who heard Jesus use this analogy didn't understand what he was saying. So Jesus spoke again. I assure you that I am the gate of the sheep. All who come before me were thieves and outlaws, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief enters only to steal, steal, kill, and destroy. I came so that they could have life. Indeed, so they could have life in the fullest. I am the good shepherd. The good sheep lays down his life for the sheep. When the hired hand sees the wolf coming, he leaves the sheep and runs away. That's because he isn't the shepherd. The sheep aren't really his. So the wolf attacks the sheep and scatters them. He is only a hired hand, and the sheep don't matter to him. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep, and they know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. I give up my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that don't belong to this sheep pen. I must lead them, too. They will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock with one shepherd. This is why the Father loves me. I gave up my life so I can take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I give it up because I want to. I have the right to give it, and I have the right to take it up again. I received this commandment from my Father. There was another division among the Jewish opposition because of Jesus' words. Many of them said, He has a demon and has lost his mind. Why listen to him? Others said, These aren't the words of someone who has a demon. Can a demon heal the eyes of people who are blind? The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So the church I used to serve before I came to this one had a giant painting of Jesus. And it wasn't the Jesus that um, we're sort of used to. It was this Jesus. And this giant picture of Jesus as the good shepherd, it hung on the wall above the entrance to the sanctuary and when I talk giant, I mean it was like 10 feet tall, this painting. Or it felt 10 <laughs> feet tall. I don't know if it was. <laughs> but it was huge. And it stood outside the sanctuary so that you walked underneath of the picture of Jesus as the good shepherd. One week, one month, the session decided to repaint the entranceway to the sanctuary. And so the picture was taken down. And everybody was fine with that for a week. But then it turns out that the picture didn't show back up when the painting was done. I don't know how you lose a 10-foot painting, but they did. It was gone. Couldn't find it. And there was mass panic for weeks at the church. We have to find this painting. They searched through every closet. They searched through the basement. They searched through the auxiliary buildings, the things, everything. They searched everywhere. Jesus was gone. Now, Miss Alice, who was the church's 80-something-year-old matriarch, was the most disturbed of all. This painting, she said, was something she looked forward to seeing every week. 
It filled her with peace, the way Jesus looked at the sheep. Now, eventually, the painting reappeared, and I'm sure, I'm, so, I'm sure somebody took it home for safekeeping while it was being painted, while the walls were being painted, and they either couldn't or forgot to bring the painting back when the painting was done. And then it became awkward to return the painting. You know, there's that, <laughs> that period of time <laughs> where you can admit that you messed up. Yeah. And so I imagine sometime in the dead of night, they unlocked the church and came in and hung the painting back up. I used to sit on the floor in front of it when I would write sermons. I'm sure it was a picture that was meant to provoke comfort, because Presbyterians aren't supposed to have idols. And we're not big into the images of Christ. And so it's not an ethnically, and this picture was not an ethnically or geographically appropriate painting of Jesus, who almost certainly looked like, um, looked nothing or acted nothing like the guy in that painting since Jesus was a first century Jewish man and not a medieval English shepherd. But there seemed to be something challenging to me about Jesus' eyes, about the way he cared for one lost sheep. Now I have no proof from the, that it's from the parable of Jesus and the lost sheep, the one that he finds way out in the thing that's lost. I don't know that. I imagined that. But I also noticed that the other sheep demanded Jesus' attention. Did you see? They were nudging him in the elbow. Jesus only looks at the sheep who needed care. It was a challenge to a shepherd. It's challenging to be a shepherd like Jesus, to see the need, the true need, in his sheep. It's not necessarily the sheep that's nudging his arm, demanding for attention, but it's often the small one the weaker one who Jesus chooses. So me, the youth pastor who was almost constantly surrounded by people, found it a challenge to see through the crowd and to see who actually had need. A kind word or a helping hand. Miss Alice, who lived alone her entire life, found instead comfort in the way that Jesus gathered the sheep. Jesus is the good shepherd, the one who sees, the one who knows us, the one who finds us wherever we are needed. Jesus is the shepherd who opens the gate. And this gate opening, this is the miracle of Jesus. You see, Jesus had a way of seeing into people's hearts past their presentation, their mask, their outward, socially acceptable, world-facing attitude, Jesus saw the need that was deep, often hidden in their heart. When Jesus healed, as we've heard over the last weeks, Jesus healed in order to set people free, not from the physical ailments which cast them aside, but in a way which allowed them to be part of their community, their families, their friends. He healed the leper not because there was something wrong with the leper, but because other people wouldn't let the leper in. He returned them to community. See, Jesus was a gatherer in of people, of all kinds of people, even the ones who didn't know that they needed gathered. And while not all the Pharisees were convinced, enough were to challenge their authorities. Do you notice what they said? Can a demon heal a blind man? 
And that's because they saw those Pharisees. They knew. Jesus healed to show concern, compassion, and caring for the injured, the lost, and the hidden sheep. A good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. And while this is a sign of what Jesus was going to do literally in the next couple of weeks, you know, literally lay down his life for his sheep, it's also a reminder that Jesus chose the sometimes more difficult task of being kind, of putting his life at risk because he first chose to gather in. And all of this is because Jesus knows his sheep, especially the lost sheep. And depending on who you are, this image of Jesus, this description of Jesus as a shepherd is either a comfort or a challenge. If you are a lost sheep, Jesus gathers you in. There's a loneliness epidemic in the world. I read the other day that more than one quarter of people over the age of 60 live alone. And according to the Pew Research Survey, more than 43% of them respond that they are lonely. And this was before COVID. But the also more tragic thing to me is that 18 to 22-year-olds report an even higher level of loneliness, especially if they are students. In fact, in the regional national survey that they did, 36% of respondents reported serious loneliness. That means they felt lonely frequently or almost all of the time in the four weeks prior to the survey. That included 61% of young people ages 18 to 25, and 51% of mothers with children. They are surrounded by people, but they are alone. All of this gets worse if you spend a lot of time on social media. Another study shows that the amount of time you spend on social media is directly correlated to your level of depression, anxiety, and loneliness. It seems that the more and more your life drifts online, the farther and farther you are away from people and the more likely you are to feel lonely. Constantly surrounded by people, but alone. And this is it, this is the key factor. 43% of young adults reported increases in loneliness since the outcome of the pandemic. Which means that a group that was already 63% lonely increased by 43%. That's almost 100%. And about half of lonely adults reported that in the, fast, fast, in the past few weeks, no one had taken time, more than a minute, to ask how they were doing in a way that made them feel like they cared. Like they were really interested. Like they wanted more of an answer than just, I'm fine. Jesus reaches out to the lost and the lonely and the hurting. And he saw people for who they are in the depths of their lives, not in the image that is perfect or self-sufficient, not in the image that they posted on their social media profiles, and not in the image that they tell you that they're okay. But as people who needed acts of kindness. And church, depending on who you are, these are words of comfort or challenge. You see, it takes bravery to step out of our comfort zone. It takes courage to sit at a table with folks we don't know and to move past the perfunctory questions. 
how are you? And it means being willing to be vulnerable to awkwardness. And it means that you might find a friend in someone who you didn't like before. And it means that you have to make space in your life for them. You have to open the gate. So the next time that you eat in a crowded room, are you going to sit at a table of people that you know with no room to spare and no place for someone else to sit at your table? Or can you see that there's one person sitting in the cafeteria by themselves and choose to sit with them or invite them to your table? We seek comfort. I get it. And we seek the familiar because it's comforting and it's easy. And it feels good to be around people we know. And it's hard to know where to start. It's hard to know how to find a place. And it's even harder if no place is available for you to sit in the first place. And we are called to open the gate. To open it. How often do we choose to close the gate behind us so no more sheep can come in? We so often cut ourselves off from others because we're afraid for our hearts. And the more and more that we isolate, the more and more we find ourselves behind a screen on our couch at home, the less and less we are able to see other people for who they are. We are called to be Christ's sheep. And that means opening the gate so that people, we can go beyond the fence. It means opening the gate so other sheep can come in. And it means realizing that the fence we've constructed doesn't keep people out so much as lock us in. Can we see the other sheep? Can we extend a hand like Jesus does and welcome them into the fold? And if you are being welcomed in, are you brave enough to step through the gate? Both are required. The gate has to be open and the invitation has to be genuine. And you have to hear the call of the Good Shepherd. And depending on who you are, this is either comfort or challenge. Open the gate. Amen.